0: I friends and welcome to the Metacast brought to you by Navic. I'm your host Nico, or Nicola Vreke, if you want to use my full name and can pronounce it. And today I'm joined by Sebastian Sepp-Park and Ryan Fu. And this is a bit of a, an episode where we don't have really one talk topic we're going to talk about. We're going to see where we end up. Um, you know, The three of us, we have a lot of thoughts about the current state of blockchain gaming, um, what people get wrong in thinking around um, those things, game design, these types of uh, subjects. Um, so yeah, that's that's what we're going to do today. Before we do that, maybe very short backgrounds. So I'm Nico, I host the Metacast, um, also invest on the crypto gaming team at Bicraft. And Ryan, how about you?
1: Yeah, I'm Ryan. I'm a gaming economist at Delphi Digital. And I also you know, investing crypto games in Adelphi Ventures. And you write smart stuff, right? I do. I have been known to write some stuff from time to time. Sometimes it's smart, sometimes it's some not. Stuff. Yeah,
0: that, that, I, that I find smart. There you go.
1: <laughs> you know, it's, it's a shot on
2: goal, Ryan. <laughs> Everyone remembers the super smart things. Exactly. Like, it doesn't matter if you write every day and we just don't see half of them.
0: <laughs> exactly. That, uh, that's why we I'm do... oh, sorry. Go ahead, Seb. Oh, go ahead. No I was going I was going to say that that that's why I do so many bold predictions right because you know if you make a wrong <laughs> prediction it really doesn't matter right but then at some point like I'll be able to link back and 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 tell people look at this prediction it came true exactly so exactly um, th- exactly you got
2: to say you know Liverpool is going to win the premiership and Man City is going to win the premiership and then you're pretty much certain <laughs> that someone's going to win it for the next couple of years my name is Sebastian Park i'm Sepp park on twitter i am the co-founder of Infinite Canvas, which is a user-generated gaming uh, publisher ecosystem studio. And then I'm also a venture partner at Bitcraft, uh, focused on user-generated gaming, esports, and blockchain. And so always fun to be here.
0: And, um, you know, whenever we're discussing internally with the Bitcraft team, and and, and Seb opens his mouth, there is always so much wisdom that comes out. Like, I'm always, like, blown (laughs) away. I'm like... This dude, he makes so much sense. So it's it's very useful to animals. Uh, no Strong most opinions,
2: weekly held. <laughs>
0: there we go. There we go. All right. So yeah, let's dive in. My my first point. Um, so last week, Friday, um, we're recording this on Friday. So today it just came out the episode that roundtable that we did. We talked a bit about Luna Terra uh, UST um, and. As a follow up on that, I'd like to take a bit of time to go deeper into what a potential crypto bear market means for blockchain games and how we see blockchain games getting out of this potential uh, two, like 24 month long uh time where everyone's you know depressed and and prices go nowhere and everyone's disappointed and is is in the red as far as the investments go um so yeah um i mean I, i've been through through a few of these cycles um, i'm always pretty optimistic i actually you know i'm not very good at investing in things that are going up i invest in things that are going on the way uh, on the way down and so it like i'm usually underwater for a long time and then suddenly you know in the next bull cycle i'm um I'm good, you know. That's that's how I roll. But um, yeah, I'd like to like more specifically have your thoughts about you know blockchain gaming, the current state of blockchain gaming. We saw a lot of you know Ponzi nomics. Uh, We saw Axie. Uh, We we now see Steppen. Um, Do you think these things will continue on uh, through this cycle, um, or is the state of blockchain game going to look completely different on the other side? Um, You know, Ryan, I'll uh, I'll let you go and give your thoughts first.
1: Yeah, I think. In, in one sentence, I don't think that these will stop necessarily, just because like these mechanisms, and they have become one of the expectations that we have of these kind of games. And, you know, it's kind of one way in which that they find traction pretty quickly, right? I think this is kind of related to kind of all the expectations that we put on blockchain games, which we were kind of discussing a bit earlier, right? And one of them is, you know, this continual line goes up, like increasing price of tokens, and the fastest way to do that without any sort of organic traction is to design some excellent Ponzi-nomics, right? And mm-hmm. I think um, just because it's a bear market doesn't mean that, you know, sort of consumer demand alike like, would necessarily reflect, right? I, which is kind of a shame, right? But I think we have to be kind of realistic about, like, you know, when we predict, like, well, you know, whether these things are going to flame out, right? And some might flame out sooner than others, right? But um I do think that I do think that we will we'll see like you know much similar apps coming in the sort of gonna be walking in the same shoes as Stepin, so to speak, and other and other kind of you know really hyper growth kind of apps. Um yeah. High growth, hyper growth, as they say.
0: Ponzi growth, yeah. Seb, what do you think? Yeah, there's a lot to unpack.
2: Honestly, there, there there, are three parts of this I think are, are really important to think through in, in combination. The first one is what is people's target audience? Uh, you know, gaming is very fortunate historically to be somewhere between acyclical and counter cyclical when it comes to macroeconomic forces. And so gaming tends to do particularly well when the economy is doing poorly. The, the macro uh, consumer reason for this is if people have less money to spend experiences and actions that cost less relative to the amount of enjoyment increase in value, right? So I think that's, so gaming as a whole is going to be fine, uh, regardless of the the downturn we have here. Uh, uh, Nico, I, I love that you pointed out 24 months. Uh, I've heard a huge range in terms of how long it's going to be, and I think that's going to be the second bit, which is how long is this cycle for? If this cycle is as long as the last bull cycle was, we're looking for, like, is that 10 years, right, of, of, of being mm. in bearish economics? Mm. Then you have almost like Southeast Asian venture economics where you have like a bunch of seed stage investors and a bunch of growth investors and like no Series A investors, right? Like there's a lot of that that could happen. I think trying to drill into what the timeline is is going to be really helpful. And in part because it will inform the game development that we see t- today. Uh, Ponzinomics aside what we've seen historically is that people are building to their incentives. Games like Step In built relative to the incentive model of 2021 and 2022. Games like Axie, and this, by the way, as a pet peeve, one of my biggest pet peeves is when people say negative things about Axie's tokenomics. When in reality, if you were designing for an ecosystem that only had 100,000 users, you, couldn't, you can't churn a user. That's a basis point of your entire TAM, right? And so you generate the most retentive loops possible of your tokenomics. If, if you are stepping, you generate them differently because the player base is different in 2022. If you generate for 2028, perhaps you have 100 million or a billion users then, at which point you generate different types of, you have a more user acquisition focused tokenomics. The, that's neither here nor there in terms of it. The thing I think that's going to be interesting to see and interesting to figure out, especially as these games come through, is uh, to Ryan's point about expectations. Establishing what the base rate is, like how many of these games are supposed to succeed, how many of them are supposed to fail, what that looks like in the world, and you know, really teaching that moment of like, hey, here is what your expectation ought to be, such that you can then
0: evaluate
2: whether or not something is successful or unsuccessful.
0: So, if I understand you correctly, if you're building a game right now, um, you should think about what the blockchain, well, you're building a blockchain game right now, you should think about what the blockchain gaming audience will look like at the time that your game comes out. Is that correct? Steve? Yeah,
2: yeah, for sure. Or, or, and, and by the way, I think when it comes out, is such an important point, right? And this is, by the way, as an aside, uh, as a slight tangent, why I think venture investors who close up shop during financial downturns are crazy, right? Like this is actually a time where you can invest into the building of a company so true. that, you know, when the downturn ends, they come out. I mean, there, there are other macro reasons, for example, like you don't want to have no powder in your in your book and you can't raise in the LP market. There are other reasons why it happens, but people are just afraid of the FUD, the of uncertainty and doubt, you know, probably not the best venture investors in the world. Yes. The games themselves have to be tailored to the time it comes out. So. If you're building a game for today that you're going to launch tonight, we that's an interesting question, right? Cuz like you're probably in this like middle ground where there might not be the type of liquidity that we've been seeing in the last 6 to 12 months around the ponziomics, appreciating token value investor class. But if you're building a game for 2 years or 5 years from now, like your macro belief of what games all look like should be a belief and just build for that and then
1: adjust accordingly.
0: Mhm. You agree, Ryan?
1: Yeah, I think like one one frame that might also help to inform that is like the frame of the game as product, right? And if you have this kind of frame of the game as product, then, you know, eventually, if people are sort willing to pay for that product, you kind of like have the users always coming in to help iterate on that product with you, right? And I think, Seb, to your point about, having basically some broader context around Infinite Canvas is they you know, take these game products and then help to optimize and refine them, right? And I think that's something that you see with, like, the early community as well in these kind of games. They can come in and that's kind of agnostic to Cycles as well, right? Except maybe the total amount of interest, right? But the fact is is that the interest, now it's more sort of, I guess, you know, split apart, right? So it's not just purely... You know, so sort of in a, in a bull cycle, it's all you know, sort of like a, a good amount of that interest is kind of like financially motivated or like number go up motivated, right? But then if you sort of look at this game as a product and something that, or, or these game ecosystems as products and something that you can sort of spend time and take time to build and develop, right, and improve on, then you know it'll be ready for the time when it launches, right? The time at which it should launch. I think that's the kind of frame that they try to take, right? And then all of the things that we're experimenting with is kind of like the incentives so that people come in and help to improve this product over time. And that's kind of what the tokenomics can be as well, right?
2: That's interesting. So Ryan, I think what you're saying really is like sort of the bifurcation of game fi from games, right? Like that there's blockchain games that are products. And then there was like a wave of game five that was probably more of the finance than it was the game. And perhaps we can see an inversion of that priority going forward.
1: Yeah, quite naturally. So, like, less commentary and less focus around like yield and, you know, nice Dota to cup. <laughs> yeah, less commentary around yield and the like and sort of more, fo- like, I think those pieces will still have a part, but then, like, you'd be far, I think there'll be sort of far less in the market and more around content and then redistributing the proceeds of that content from the, the product might be quite interesting as well.
2: That's that's really cool, Nico. Have you? Ever, I was. I think we I were talking about this earlier. And and this sort of a fun fact is, it's a little bit like countries, right? You can have great taxes, you can have great economies, but the country sucks to live in. <laughs> like you just don't want to <laughs> live there, right? And, it's a, and that's a little bit like game product in a sense, right? When you have a financial downturn and the, the economics of you know, your tax havens or your, your, your other receipts aren't there anymore. You start thinking about like, so where do I wanna live in my yeah. life right now?
0: Isn't that like you know the UK or something or, or Ireland where it uh, it's, it's unclear? Shit.
1: <laughs> I, I, I hear, I, I hear, maybe it's Berlin, Germany. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Nico out here out um, trying to offend like millions of people at the same time. <laughs>
0: I, yeah. I should be careful with what I say. I, I uh, yeah, it's true. Um, my, my apologies if you got offended, but the thing is, like, I, we're, I live in Belgium and we have the same weather as the UK, so and we like we started this recording late because it was raining like crazy and I was stuck in traffic. So I, I feel like I have some right, at least, to talk about bad weather. Um, Apart from that, I'm, I'm curious to get, like, if I understand you correctly, Ryan, what you were saying is that you think there will be a shift from the, you know, financializations around the incentives of getting people in more towards trying to work with the players That's right. to think more about the game and the fun right. aspect, right? Yeah,
1: so the, the, the game, the it's, fun aspect, and even potentially, like, you know, improving, sort of giving them the right incentives to help improve the core product, one, or like yes. sort of, you know, begin to sort of horizontalize as opposed to offering within the ecosystem. So, like, you know, transmedia, right? Like, setting up those kind of proper incentives rather than like sort of pure like user acquisition, come in and play the game, yeah. come in and be attracted by this yield, right? I think like, yes. becomes, come in and help me build, right? And help me build like different portions of this, you know, dream product. Alongside us, I think that's kind of the goal, right? Um, yes. And yeah, that that of course like uh leaves a wide open hole for like well how how we're we gonna sort of get more users on board, right? And you'll still see kind of the step ends and the steep ends and the you know all of these interesting ends, right? Like learn to earn, imagine that, right? Like and all these yes. kind of movements. But I think um quite interested in seeing like how different people can come together and you know, by these cryptographic incentives, Yeah. <laughs> right? And then, like come on board and like help you know sort of build out these game products, right? To to a degree that we haven't seen before.
0: Yeah. So it's it's more of it's a shift from Ponzi nomics focused on ROI as an investment for for people to, um, you know, using the incentives to get them to help you, um, as a game developer and designer.
1: This very well said. Yes.
0: Um. Does because I feel like this. Might just be a natural evolution of where we're going anyway as more of these ponzionomic you know rise and crash as they're destined to um or is this, do you think strongly related to a potential crypto bear market
1: The bear market uh, pulls the tide out, right I think um john jordan John Jordan said this in his uh sub stack, but he said, uh, you know, we can see who's swimming naked in the bear market, yeah.
0: Luna Whirlers, those are swimming naked. <laughs> no, too soon, dude! <laughs> laugh with that. Should not laugh too soon. Sorry, sorry, Ryan. Um, yeah, I, I think that that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, I feel like, and this is my personal opinion. Love to have your thoughts. I I feel like the, you know, the magnitude and the number of. Because I feel like, the, sorry, take a step back. These, a lot of these Sponsonomic-style economic loops that we see within games where, you know, there is this, you know, you play the game, you get an asset, and then, you know, the, you see the the increase in value of of the assets that you need to to start generating money. And as long as more and more new people come in, the value goes up. So what we've seen with Axie, what we see with Steppen and a lot of other games, um, it feels like, you know, there there are more games designed like that than that that managed to reach a high point like that where you know axie was maybe maybe the first that did it right maybe not but there has been a, like a bunch of axie clones afterwards that didn't manage to take off like a step did um and so my, my question is won't the chance of a, such a game taking off be severely impacted by this bear market because fewer people come into the, the the crypto world either expecting to be able to make an easy return um, or, hoping for, or hoping for that?
1: Yes, naturally. I, I believe so as well. So it's going to be a catalyst. But that doesn't mean that those projects will not continue to solve. You know, again, walk in the shoes of Stefan.
0: Yeah. yeah. Man, And here was I hoping that we wouldn't see these Ponzinomic cycles anymore after a, a, a nice and long bear market, but uh, we, we may not. we may. I, I think it's interesting. Like
2: there, this is another like one of those like mental traps people fall into where uh, those people who haven't done startups or haven't run companies before think that someone comes up with an idea and then it just works, and then they just run with the idea and then they have a great like a 10 million dollar idea from day one and becomes a 10 billion dollar idea and it's just like the strength of the idea in and of itself and that's just not how life works right (laughs) like that's not how company building works right everyone changes what they're working on either fundamentally or in a micro like on a day-to-day week to week month to month quarter to quarter year by year basis right and so one one of the fun things i love about stepping as an aside like i i don't know in fact, I feel I feel pretty strongly that the core loop of move to earn is not a strong one, and I mean that because you know we've looked at we dug into Pokemon Go and we see that it's a Pokemon IP that was like the largest driver, and so when during COVID they like removed the moving portion of it, <laughs> they like they like have far more engagement and far better retention than whatnot. And we have a lot of data for, as investors on what Strava's done, what Nike Run Club's done, what other folks have done in this ecosystem. And so we can make assessments as to whether or not we care about those things. What I will give in credit for, and I think they're doing a really great job of, is becoming effectively a lifestyle luxury brand icon inside of a segment using the move to earn like halo to generate that type of uplift. Right. And so if you have that mental model, then you're like, wow, like people who are, you know, poo-pooing on the game mechanic are missing the Forest of the Trees, which is this creation of an interesting brand. I think a lot about 100 Thieves in the same way, where if you view 100 Thieves as a pure esports team, you know, perhaps they're not the like greatest esports team of all time. But if you view them as this like hybrid brand play, like supreme for gaming, suddenly there's some like interesting bits there. And I think one thing we will see is that we'll see the successful loops, the people who are doing well, take their existing quote unquote ponzi loops and then use them to fund or build or grow into a proper ecosystem. And so I think that's like the exciting part of this. And, and that's why oftentimes people are caught with their pants down because they, they view companies as these like unmoving monoliths when in reality, it's a combination of folks who are constantly iterating and trying to make their companies better.
0: So I'm currently building a game, and this is hypothetically, by the way, that has, as part of its user acquisition loop, a system where, you know, people initially can make a lot of money, especially as as more people come in. Um, Curious to have your thoughts on, you know, Ryan, okay, I know you would you would tell me that I should probably pivot to, you know, incentivizing my users to help me with game design. Um, but ter- just in terms of timing, to have your to have your thoughts on that, should I like, would you recommend a game building to delay a release or a, like a public beta beta or something to when you know the the current crypto market looks better? How are you thinking around that? What do you think, Ryan? deep sigh tough question
1: <laughs> well it's a challenge of demand estimation right and I think like
0: mm-hmm.
1: the, sec- the second piece is like getting the folks in your community like on board with I suppose like the the game and if the, the quicker that you can get on board with like sort of iterating and testing and seeing like well these are the people that you want, want to sort of play the game it's of your persona, right, and you refine and start to build for them, then I think that's probably something that you don't necessarily need to delay, right? I think what what people kind of worry about um, and what's likely more affected by markets is like, you know, the drops and the revenue events and all of these things, right? It's like token uh, token releases, token sales, um, IDOs, or NFT drops and the like, a TGE in particular, which is particularly relevant to I suppose, venture investors in, in sort of the web-free gaming space, right? So all of these, you know, I think make sense to kind of postpone and push back, you know, towards a healthier sort of, yeah. you know, or at least a friendlier kind of market, right? But, you know, I think, like, if you have gameplay and, you know, you want to iterate on that and sort of view it as a product rather than a, you know, rather than kind of a financial system, I suppose, then, like, it make a financialized thing, then it kind of makes sense to to, uh, yeah, um, not delay it, at least the, the game in particular. But, you know, it might make sense to delay the financial components of it, right?
0: Makes a lot of sense, yeah. You agree, Seb? Yeah, I mean,
2: one, one thing I will say is that anytime someone asks me whether they should delay something, my general answer is no. <laughs> like, almost, almost in a macro, I think it's it's fine to launch usually and then, Iterate from that, but I think Ryan's completely correct, right? Mm-hmm. Like, especially on the financial com- components where it's not a product related decision and instead a reliance on the public, private, or crypto markets, you're probably better suited to wait out the FUD. You know, it's interesting. I, I, I will say there's a huge difference between FUD and FUBAR. You know, one is fear, uncertainty, doubt, and the other one is effed up beyond all recognition, <laughs> right? And I, I do wanna do want you know caution listeners and folks of hey don't conflate the two. Uh, what we have right now mm. is fud. It's mm-hmm. not FUBAR, bar, mm-hmm. right? And there's a huge difference. One, you should sell everything and go to go live in a cave, <laughs> and the other one is you should do the work to try to uncover the fud.
0: Interesting. Although I'm gonna say like I I personally feel like we probably haven't seen the worst of this yet. Um, but anyway, that, that's that's. Well, this but in that case, right? your fear,
2: uncertainty, and doubt is warranted. <laughs>
0: there we go. <laughs> right? Okay, like
2: it's, and, and it's 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 fun because you're you're completely right. When you don't know if you've seen the worst of it or not, and and I don't believe we've seen the worst of it either, for what's worth, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't know, that's what fun is. <laughs> and so it's it's always fun because uh, you know the, making decisions under periods of uncertainty. Is one of the hardest and most fun things you can do, and it's also the most stressful.
0: There you go, motivating words. Um, love that. Cool. Well, Ryan, you you already touched upon it briefly earlier, and about expectations and blockchain games. Um, I, I'd like to offer you the floor. Um, you can you know maybe rant a bit. Feel free. Um, and uh, yeah, we can we can talk about that.
1: Yeah. No. Wonderful. I think. Um, thanks for offering the floor. So basically the. The title of this TED Talk is not... It, the title of the... <laughs> so I, I've written a piece over the over the week. Um, and so sort of that came from a bit of reflection, right? About, you know, in particular, like, you know, when you mentioned games like uh, Axie, you know, and what we see in Crypto Unicorns, for example, there's like a certain, you know, a lot of things, to re- expectations to be placed as players on these games, right? Uh, and, you know, players, investors, community members, and, you know developers as well right we all have a lot of expectations so how the game's uh, gonna perform and the like but i want to list out some of those expectations and then you know sort of encourage a revise so revise revising those expectations yes right so encourage the revising of those expectations and i think you know seb talked a bit about game success base rates which you know there's going to be a bit uh probably a bit of interesting discussion there as well given a lot of his background and venture investing and of course in the games industry for a long time so that'd be fun but yeah here's some of the expectations I guess we place on Dolce Games right we expect them to be fun right because games are meant to be fun right? it, is, it is an expectation right the second we expect them you know to number go up right so the prices of the tokens the NFTs are going to go up the ecosystem token is going to go up, and this will be like up and to the right, right? It has to be green all the time. The moment it's like a 10% drop, it's like, oh, wow, you know, I have to handle the FUD, right? So there's an the expectation on these blockchain games to be up and to the right, increasing price of tokens all the time. The third is that we expect blockchain games, or blockchain at least, to provide for games, you know, this Kickstarter, right? So, you know, you have to help game devs de-risk the game development process, right? And how, how, the, how does this happen? You know, you, you funnel the booking of revenue, and secure funding for the project, and blockchain is supposed to do that, right? So now you have to have a blockchain game that, you know, has to have successfully executed an NFT sale, a land sale, and a token sale. Like just because they they can do it, you know, just because they can, right? And then like that sets up a bunch of incentives later on, right? Which you have to kind of fulfill. Our expectations you have to fulfill. So it's always about expectations and delivering those expectations, right? The very important part of blockchain games as well. Um, another expectation that we have is that. They're gonna be built on the blockchain and and hold those values. Now I know I know it's sort of super obvious, right? The be fun games. Blockchain games, blockchain, build on blockchain. But being being built on blockchain is like a difficult thing, right? It's a frontier technology, right? Like not how many engineers you know know how to write solidity? How many engineers know what know what EVM means? Like you know, the Ethereum virtual machine, you know, like like not very many, right? So those are in high demand. Those are kind of hard, those are you know, difficult to hire. And they're building things in uncertain environments, right? They, you know, they have to pivot all the time. They figure out things like play to earn, play and earn, play fi. You know, they have to figure out what DAO is. What's a DAO, right? They have, they have to think about like interoperability, composability, because someone talks to them about like, you should totally interoperate with board apes, right? It's a bunch of stuff that kind of, we expect them to do. On top of being fun, on top of being kickstart, of, of like handling the Kickstarter stuff, on top of making them money, like increasing price of tokens, right? And the final thing that we expect of them Right? which kind of is interrelated with all the rest, right? is that they have to be accessible, like free to start, like, you know, free to play level accessible. Right? So you know, the floor price not being like $4,000 to begin playing a game. Right? The way we've designed our economics right? and for a lot of these games, just because you know, we expect them to fill the constraints of all the other kind of expectations. Right? Be fun, make me money, be kickstart, fun, fun games, put it on blockchain, right? and then accessibility. Right, So the way we've designed our economics makes it so that, you know, the start to begin playing the game, it could be $40, be $4, 000, it could be $4,000, it could be $40,000, right? And it's kind of an accident of history right? we have realized that like, you know, selling land and then like, wait, we have to gate something, we have to give something to this land. What are we going to give them, right? And, you know, mm-hmm. we've just been kind of trialing and erring, like we've been looking at like, utility of these different virtual goods. And then we've been like trying to throw them onto like all of these different, you know, tokens or NFTs or land and we, we'll see what sticks, right? I think, like you know, what what would be more interesting to see is like if we can, of course, have far more reasonable expectations, right? Kind of like temper down like what we, what we hope for f- from each game, and realize that probably at any given time a game can really only fulfill like one, to two, to three of these expectations at once at best, right? And you know, it's why I don't expect like massive yield from you know, experimental one chain games. Right, but maybe it's gonna be fun. Maybe it's gonna be interesting. Right? Maybe it's gonna be built on the blockchain, right? So, yeah. So there's a bunch of there's a bunch of uh, different uh, expectations that we all have, and somehow like we've begun to put all these expectations on a bunch of different games and all the different games that come into the system, the ecosystem, which of course like you know forces them like this way, right? So I, I think like um, sort of adopting this mental model of like constraints that we place on onto these games. By our expectations, right? Uh, pulls them pulls them apart. And I think like it allows us to sort of tease out like, you know, why are we investing in certain games or why are we sort of backing games certain games or why are we even playing or taking an interest just as a soft player investor or just a player in general or someone's interested in web free gaming, right? Like why are we even interested in these games in the first place? So I think like, yeah, that's all I have to say. We expect too much from blockchain games.
0: Fascinating. Thank you for, for that, that that talk, Ryan, that was uh, that was really good. Thanks. Um, my initial thought is I, I couldn't agree more to what you're saying. I think um, I recently met um, a very senior person. He's a COO at a company, very, very, very big company, media company that is about to go public. And he told me because the company is about to go public, I'm looking for a new job because I don't want to be the CEO of a public company because as a public company, you have to, every quarter, report to investors, you know, tell them why you s- show certain decisions, lay out a plan. Um, it's a mess, right? Having to constantly have a number that you're responsible for. And in the end, and this is my frustration, the number, and this is sp- especially true in blockchain games, is an arbitrary in- indication of how a group of very silly people thinks about the value of something. And so I've had a lot of discussions with people that told me like, oh, um, Axie failed or X game failed because their token price went ballistic after launch and now is 99% lower than it used to be. So the game has failed by definition. And I'm like, "I, I, I strongly disagree with that notion that because the price of a token went up and then all the way down, that that necessarily means that the team is a bad team or that the team has failed. It is the market has decided that they were super excited about that token at a certain point in time. That has boosted the price up immensely. And, you know, this is something that as a team, you have little control over. Um, and so, you know, this is another expectation. And Ryan, I fully agree with what you're saying. Um, we, One of the expectations of current blockchain games is that we expect them to manage expectations around value of their assets, which could be, um, compared to the share price of a company, the same way a publicly traded company does and publicly traded companies by definition have like people that are like specifically responsible for finances. They have CFOs, um, et cetera, et cetera. They have huge teams. And now we suddenly have teams of, of, of five people that are, that put something out there that is supposedly a company with a, you know, fungible asset that has a certain price. Um, and that's only they, you know, get. Um, judged for the whole time, um, so mm-hmm. fully agree. What do you think, Seb? It's interesting
2: because one one of my biggest gripes is I truly think that people when they're bad should feel bad, and that people when they're good should feel good. But you you have to either do that or not feel anything, <laughs> right? Like, so for example, uh, as a counterpoint to your thought, Nico. If we're giving someone credit for making an awesome game because their token price went up, I think they deservedly get crap when the token price oh, goes down.
0: I, I, I don't sorry, I I don't think that if you put out a game and because of the marketing and storytelling and the influencer bribing that you do, the t- the token price goes up hundred times, four hundred times, five hundred times, like that doesn't say anything about how good you are at making games, for me at least.
2: Completely agree. And I, I know that's what you mean, Nico. And I think that's like the thing that we want to separate, which is like for people like Nico, I think it's fine to say, hey, the token price going up didn't matter. It doesn't affect the underlying product. The token price going down doesn't matter because it doesn't affect the underlying product. But I want to be clear that you can't have your cake and eat it too. For those people who are like, hey, this thing was awesome because the token price went up. You should, you should you know, eat crow for when the token price goes down. And I think in a similar vein, uh, one of the macro things in terms of expectations is if the expectation was there and you built towards expectation, that's a pretty good judge of what you're supposed to be. Uh, I don't ever fault anyone for having high expectations. I think it's a part of the business, a part of what we're trying to do. Certainly, I think it forces people to prioritize what works. Uh, Ryan, Nico, and I were talking prior to this call. And one of the big pet peeves I have is people just like don't know how often you're supposed to succeed or fail. If they had a sense, uh, there's this great quote in baseball where you lose a third of your game and you win a third of your games, no matter what, it's the last third that matters, right? And it's very similar to the the flow of companies, although well, far worse for the companies, right? A great investor will succeed one in 10 times. A bad investor will fail nine, nine times out of 100, Somewhere in between is a fine, okay, a fine, good, okay investor, right? And so the delta between being great and bad is like 10%, right? It's actually 10x if you think about from 1% to 10%, right? But it really is that much of a gap. And so if you take a step back, what percentage of games should fail? Well, basically every game should fail. And as a rule of thumb, if you put your hand into a bag of games and pull out a game, that game will fail. And so if you know that's your base rate, and then you know what like, drives success, you then like, try to be better decision makers and, and reflect on that in the, in the future as investors. As players, you don't care. right? As a player for a content thing, you play it. And if it's fun, awesome. If it's not fun, whatever. And a lot of that's what you've played recently. I've been obsessed with Vampire Survivors. I think it's one of the best games I've played in a really long time. It's a reverse bullet hell. You can pick it up for three bucks on Steam not a crypto game, just to be clear, but just a fun game overall. Part of my enjoyment of Vampire Survivors is I played Triangle Strategy right before playing Vampire Survivors. If you don't know, Triangle Strategy is a game from Square Enix where it takes about four hours to get to the tutorial battle. And it takes another four hours to get to your second battle. So you're playing eight hours of looking at political intrigue, which is not what I signed up for, right? And so my experience of this fast-paced roguelike is improved by the fact that I just spent eight hours playing this Japanese tactics game that takes 10 hours an entire day to get to a couple of interesting story points. And that often is what happens in gaming, right? Like it's, it's out of your control and you're, you can only control your content, you can only control your product, your iteration speed, uh, but you should assume things are going to fail. And, and this is why I, and this, Nico, I think this ties really well into the previous point where you, if you take credit for when the token goes up, you gotta also take the crow when the token goes down. Similarly, for evaluating games and playing games, you you're you should either take the sense that hey, you just work with good people and you got lucky, which I think is a fine approach, or you should say hey, I was really good when I was good,
0: and I was really bad when I was
2: bad. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think we often see a lack of a lack of that type of intellectual honesty.
0: Mm. Yeah, makes me think of this concept of locus of control. Um, it it is a it's not a personality trait, but it's it's someone like, it's a way to uh, how people look at the world where if your locus of control is internally, whenever something happens to you, either good or bad, you're going to think, okay, what did I do to make this happen? And then there's a lot of people who have an external locus of control where something good, or usually when something bad happens, they're just pointing fingers and looking who, who they can blame uh, for their own decisions. Um, anyway, that's uh, completely aside and, and related to blockchain games, but made me think of that. Um, and so, you know, Seb, I get your point. What would be an actionable insight from that for people who are building blockchain games right now?
2: Yeah, I mean, so I think the biggest one is if you enjoy making games and you enjoy blockchain, please keep making blockchain games. I mean, that's like a non no-brainer. Keep going for it. The, the part of the reason why we say and we ask founders and creators to work on stuff they enjoy is because the act of creation ought be the generating of the process. The process is what drives a lot of the upside there. And so that is a really good place to start. It's just, hey, do you enjoy doing this right now? If so, keep doing it. If you don't enjoy it, you might want to look elsewhere. Like I think that's number one. I think the second thing is take this time to just ship. right? I think one thing that I can't emphasize enough is if you're in a nascent space where a bunch of people are doing different things and you have this window where people don't know what's right. That is like the coolest time to be building. It's the coolest time to test out all your crazy theories that like you sort of had an idea might be a good game loop for this ecosystem. It's out there. The last thing I'll say is I think people fiscally are are a little bit, you know, FUD right now. And if that's the case and, and you're building, like, you know, Consolidate your finances. Like I like I can't emphasize enough that not everyone is positioned to be an entrepreneur. Coming out of university, I certainly wasn't financially. Right. Like, you know, you you have bills to pay, you have things to do. Like, there is no shame in that. I was just talking to an entrepreneur recently who was working on a blockchain game who chose to call it quits. And I thought that was the smartest decision I've ever heard in a really long time. Right? Like it was just one of those things where if you know it's not for you right now, don't force it. Take a deep breath. The opportunity will be there for you in the future. Go go forth and conquer other, other streets. I think we probably put a little bit too much emphasis on glorifying creators when in reality, for every single person who's, who's like, yeah, like I like took out $10,000 or $100,000 in loans. and I was eating beans, uh, running an org. like There are a bunch of people who don't make it. And so I can't emphasize enough, especially in this period for people who are working on games, keep working on cool ideas, but also take care of yourself.
0: Mm. This makes me think of, of one um, question that I like to ask teams that pitch an idea or a concept or a business to me. Um, and, you know, again, it's, it's a bit of a tangent, but I feel like, you know, this, if, if you're an entrepreneur, um, this isn't something or question you should have a very well or a very good answer to. And that is, why are you the right team to be building this business? Or why are you the best team to be building this business? And I think, you know, I really, really enjoy doing this. And I will would do it, even if there was not the promise of this insane rewards, so if I'm successful is one very good answer. Um, and then on top of that, hopefully, there's there's some, you know, some, some insights or some expertise that, that can help.
1: You know, Seb, I I also really enjoyed like what you were saying earlier about like kind of well enjoying the process and you know having that fun like working you know in a space that is not optimized you know unoptimized and you know there's there's no sort of playbook to follow right and I think like the experience I suppose that I draw from or sort of the the frame I draw from here is kind of you know how you know if you were sort of a newbie game developer you know and in the last one or two years, before kind of blockchain games kind of hit the market, they the established kind of way to invest in games, or at least you know what what made games venture investable was like kind of the free to play model, right? And then there was a very sort of clear, you know, metric by which you can kind of judge the success and and of of your of your you know sort of nascent product, right? Which is like your LTV greater than your CAC, right? And in particular, that was like sort of taken to a point of like hyper casual, right? up to a certain, you know, with hyper-casual games, like, you know, with Voodoo and other publishers similar to them, like, there's a certain sort of set of metrics to look out for, right? And once you hit those metrics, that's just enough to get your game or, like, sort of fund your process as a game developer, right? And if game development's what you want to do, then you find yourself, end up working on, you know, puzzle games in Unity, right? Um, or, you know, merge games, and because those are the only things you can work on, right? But blockchain games are cool because I mean, they just kind of open up the possibilities space for you. and you know you can go on and try and build an RPG or you know revive study Valley if you want and in web free if you want. And if someone's kind of crazy enough to be like, yeah, you can go and try and search and find this treasure. You know a bunch of people raise funds to you know subsidize your exploration and hopefully you find something interesting in this expedition and you have fun doing it, then that's great. you know. So it's kind of always the frame that I, I bring to it, right? when when you say, I mean, it's it's better for builders, right? Overall, I think it's, it's just more interesting. It's gonna be a fun time. Of course, there's more expectations. It's gonna be difficult, and you need know, to figure out this DAO stuff. It's pretty difficult stuff. But you know, otherwise, like it's it's quite it's quite interesting, really, to to be a builder in this time and space. So, yeah, that's that's what I have to say. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you, Ryan, as well.
2: And 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 one, one of my favorite analogies I've said recently is. I'm fortunate enough now to have been in gaming for a decade. And so if I remember 10 years ago, I wish I'd been in gaming for 10 years prior, right? Because like the the mobile had taken off, this is like 2011, the best game in the app store was Sword and Super Brothers Sword and Sorcery, right? And it was a single player like pixel game that worked on iOS and those old phones that uh, probably don't remember that game anymore. Now all the games are like synchronous multiplayer, free-to-play experiences like Wild Rift and Honor of Kings, right? And then you see that evolution as people slowly take advantage of a part of the business and exploit it and like really push the platform and the product to its limits. That's the cycle of innovation. And I think especially to Nico, your point earlier, that is, there's a forcing function now in that there is this like financial crunch and we'll see some really interesting stuff come out of it but what that also means is we'll probably see a lot of things die and i think as long as we accept as an as a space that death doesn't indicate the destruction of the ecosystem we're going to be in good shape uh, you know the joke is that wildfires often re, re rekindle the sh- the shrubbery beneath to allow for new trees to grow right And in a lot of ways, what we have right now is a lot of weeds and shrubbery in the ecosystem. And giving people sort of that clean look to the sky is going, you know, probably generate a lot more interesting applications and implementations, which isn't a takeaway for how freaking hard it is. Uh, Ryan's completely right. It is very hard to learn all this stuff. And so certainly, but that also probably lends its ear to that people don't fully understand it yet even. And so we'll see better implementations in the coming weeks and months and years.
0: Yes. Fully agree. Um, final question I had. Um, Ryan, you mentioned that we shouldn't expect blockchain games to both be really fun, have super accessible founders, um, you know, have a price that's constantly going up, do interesting technical things, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, at the same time. Um, do you see like uh, like groupings of teams that are focusing on like, okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to do fun but we're not going to be accessible. We're not going to bother with our pr- the price of our token. We're just going to do that. And then there's others who are like very concerned about you know a, having a steady increase in price of the token as the player base grows. Um, are you seeing like trends there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you, you know, with this sort of framework, you can begin to see like which teams are focusing on what, whether implicit or explicitly, right? So okay. there are teams out, for example, who are say, who are saying like, well, my top priority is that there has to be like a free-to-play component, right? Everyone has to be able to play my game, right? And then there's a market component potentially, right? So like, that's that's an example, right? Or, you know, it's going to be accessible because we, you know, make a component where like lots of players can play for free and then there's going to be like NFTs that they can use to enhance, right? So so there are some teams that focus like on that. There are other teams like, you know, that that have already launched, for example, which are like, well, we're going to make it fun it's going to be a pure market game, right? And we've raised by selling a bunch of stuff. We've sold like, you know, the NFTs that allow you to access the game. We've sold land and the like, and you need these things to play the game. I mean, case in point is Crypto Unicorns, which, you know, of course, we, we both uh, invested in, sort of a disclaimer, at Bitcraft and Delphi, right? But mm-hmm. they, that's not a priority for them, right? The priority is that they, they want to be built on the blockchain, They want to have the the DAO and they have their sort of ecosystem forum, right, accessible. They want to sort of experiment with tokenomics, right, uh, on on RBW and Unim as well. They want to sort of have a multi-layer economy. And, you know, the the prioritization wasn't around accessibility, right? They want it to be fun, right, with different kind of call loops as well. So I think that's the kind of, like, um, difference that we sort of begin to see. And then, you know, the, the goal is that, like, of course, you can't have everything all at once, right? So definitely, like, pick and choose. And the way I, tr- I, tr- I try to think of it is like, well, you can pick and choose certain aspects or certain expectations you want to fulfill, but you can't fulfill everyone's expectations.
0: Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Um, all right, I think um, you know this was a fantastic in- uh, episode with some great insights from both of you. We're going to end with, as I like to do, and as we discussed in the beginning, let's, let's do a bold prediction. Let's talk about, Crypto bear market blockchain gaming, you can you can give me anything, all right? I'll be happy. I'll you guys can go first. I still haven't gotten one in my head yet. So uh, Seb, I'm gonna I see you unmuted yourself. So let's go.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I just want to point out that I think about a year ago, Nico, I was on the browsers podcast and I said that I thought a year ago that like 95% of projects that were in the top core, like top 10, top 20 of projects in blockchain would disappear <laughs> in five years. And I feel like that hot take is on really good track right now. Mm. So uh, I think in a similar vein, I'll, I'll make another one of that style. I uh, This is going to be bad because I feel like I'm stealing a little bit of Ryan's thunder. I actually think that in gaming, uh, we'll see far more stuff move towards product focused launches where the product launches prior to the tokenomics I think mean, that's something that we haven't really seen as much in the past. I'd imagine we're going to see, start seeing a lot more of that, especially if you assume that people ought to continue to build products and games, but they don't want to launch into this financial market. The natural conclusion is that we're going to start seeing things that are like, hey, the token component will come after the game. That's going to be a fun one. Uh, that's my hot take. Ryan?
1: Yeah, I quite like that, that take as well. Uh, less smoke and mirrors. More fun, more interesting ways to interact with the product, right?
0: Yeah. And doesn't count though. We want another one Darn from it. you. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> ah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I Great I think I, I agree with that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, like um, I suppose one of the hot takes uh that I'll have um, we will see many okay. Oh uh, okay, the hot take that I'll have is before the year is out, we will see. five successful free-to-play slash free-to-start games that sort of have a compelling sort of blockchain component rather than sort of grafted on one, right? So you have NFTs that exist outside of the game and the like, but they can exist on the App Store or the Play Store. So we see like you sort of cleverly designed games where they can exist on the App Store, right? They have their entire free-to-play microtransactions and the like, right? Or a model, right? But they have a blockchain component as well. And that, yeah, that's kind of my, I guess, my, my uh, hot take prediction, right? So I think the alternative or the counterfactual would be like, well, we see none. And then that will kind of make HTML5 look really wonderful as a technology, wouldn't it? That's kind of like the mm-hmm. counter hot take. So I'm going to have two, right? It's either or, Yeah. In my book.
0: Basically. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So you're covering your ass. So... You know, what we said in the beginning, you know, in a year or at the end of the year you're gonna say, like, look, I was right. Because you basically covered covered I both, said both. Sides. Yeah, both. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hedging, exactly. hedging. That's smart. That's smart. Yeah, exactly. Good. And what's yours, All right. sir? My my hot take my hot take is um and you know, I think we're in for a significant bear market in crypto in general, which is gonna um stifle like I don't think we're going to see like an Axie step Steppen style success out of nowhere over the next two years. Maybe, maybe a game that has like was been building for a while where people were excited about where going to drive in a lot of new players. Uh, but I don't think like out of nowhere, we'll, we'll see something like go, go from like a 1 million market cap to like a 10 billion market cap. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's my take. And I think, you know, this, this cycle is, is going to, take a bit because i feel like the, the the real mass market blockchain games um they will probably look like what you describe, ryan where i and i yeah i don't know whether they'll be html5 or mobile free-to-play slash you know blockchain separately but um i think those are longer like long i, I don't think we'll see those by, by the end of the year that's that's my uh, my take Cool. All right. Well, um Seb Ryan, thank you so much for joining me. This was uh this was awesome. It was like a, just a fun jam. I didn't prepare anything, but the thing that I wanted to talk about, um you know, I feel like I don't know, if people like this we can we can do this more often. So, um yeah, with that listener, thank you so much for listening. If you watch this on YouTube, feel free to give us a like, and if you're listening on Spotify, there's stars there apparently, so feel free to, you know, give us a number of stars uh, depending on how how good you you thought our takes were. I think they were okay, so please Give us five. Okay, so with that, this was the Metacast by Navik, and we look forward to speaking to you in the next episode. Cheers.